should we commence? Because it's a Let's lovely it. day. And I think, um, well, we're in, we're in London. I, I don't know where you are, Carmen, because you are very international whenever I speak to you. Where, where are you <laughs> at the moment? I'm in Madrid. I'll be back in London in a, in a few hours, but I'm in Madrid right now. Okay. And are you what would be classically termed a digital nomad? I think I am, and I, I actually have realized I like it, but also like to be at home. That has been one of the realizations of the pandemic after being a nomad for almost a year. Is like I really appreciate also being at home, home, as in in London. And so, yeah, but very much a digital nomad and a digital, like, worker i have learned to work on the floor of like airports on the floor anywhere i can literally by now work at, in under any circumstance and condition in any a transportation medium anywhere well if you could uh, bring some sunshine back with you from uh, madrid that would be very much appreciated yeah it's around like 27 degrees <laughs> hold on what's this Wait, i'm in south london you you're in central london anthony yeah we have sun here I yeah, mean, but it's still think, freezing. Honestly, yeah, so I think, to be honest, I think London's weather is much better than people give it credit for. And we've had amazing past three weeks that we're like, but I agree also uh, with Anthony that it was freezing. This year, <laughs> this freezing. year's been weird. Yeah, yeah but, but I, I like London, even, I, like, I even like London's weather. So mm. no complaints around that. Quite fresh, I think. Refreshing when it's not. <laughs> like, like, until we get to that horrible. Yeah. Well, I always remember those days where you know, and maybe hopefully in uh, the, the lockdown, the, the tubes have maybe installed air conditioning because I always remember those days in London when I used to have to commute to wherever the city or Canary Wharf and it was just like, oh. 35 know. degrees. Yeah, it's like three days a year. But And I, I complain every time in that and people are like, but you're from Spain. Why are you complaining? I'm like, yeah, because we have AC. Like that, like, <laughs> you know, like I don't we prepare care. for that weather. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, but no, I still like, I think the beauty and, and this comes from a Spaniard who's like privileged with weather. I think the beauty of London is that it's never so cold and never so hot that you don't want to be out on the street. Yeah, and yeah. neither worse is weather that prevents you to be outside. Hmm. Yeah, more, more tech on the tube, I think would be my main shout there. <laughs> So, so, so just going back to the digital nomad thing, because that really interests me quite a lot, because I, I suppose, in essence, um, we're always connected. Um, and I don't want this to be a question that's focused on the promotion of any particular type of product or, or you know, this isn't product placement, anyone who's, who's watching. But, you know, to, to do your, your role, and, and we'll dig into the roles in a second, but you know, that digital nomad, do you need to be hardwired to certain types of technology? Do lots of VCs tend to work on Slack? Do they work on, do they use HubSpot? I'm just kind of curious, how how do you stay, I suppose, switched on in, in, in that sort of nomad type um, experience? It's very interesting. I think one, one thing that helps is that we are small teams. So it is always easier to coordinate. But then looking to the tech stack of VCs, and I'm sure people will be surprised it's not very sophisticated and mm -hmm. somehow cliche, but um, we, I guess like a lot of us have superhuman. And the reason why this is useful, and I was um, discussing with somebody the other day, why do you pay on top of a service that is free, right? Like you're paying for email basically. Mm -hmm. But I think that the beauty of superhuman is that it becomes sort of your to-do list. And when you 
operate and VC is a lot about sales, like as if there's a lot of outbound and there's a lot of keeping up with like chasing mm -hmm. founders and keeping up with like um, coming back to founders in a few months. Like when you have a tool that just allows you with like a couple of clicks to organize, okay, the founder has said their head's done in product, remind me of this in a month. And you forget about it because it will be in your inbox that morning and that month. Or like, this is interesting, I wanna read it, but no time now, I'm gonna read it on Saturday. And you can just do it with, I think that is very efficient management of emails. I have very big fan of a new product actually in the market, relatively new, that does the same, but for Twitter, sorry, for your WhatsApp, your Telegram, your Slack, because my issue always with like Slack actually has been that Slack didn't kill the email. So Slack became a new inbox for internal communications, but yet another inbox. Mm -hmm. And then you have WhatsApp, which for VCs is like, another work inbox and you have telegram and like it's so, it's so inefficient and suddenly this tool comes it's called compose.im and compose.im and what it does is it makes it all like rebundles all those uh, channels that are not email and then makes it person-centric so if you chris write me on whatsapp or on telegram or on slack doesn't matter it appears on my inbox like the same and then it has the same features as a um, superhuman so imagine that anthony writes to me but it's about like a party we're going on like saturday and i'm like oh exciting but can't reply now reply me remind me at 5 p.m and then at 5 p.m., like Anthony's message comes. I'm like, okay, I'm in party mood now. Let's talk. And yeah. so I think that's very, very efficient. And I'm, I'm in love with that product. And also it has an insane shortcut for Giphy's. Yeah. You but, do like colon Giphy's to okay. post Giphy's. So which make it like even more engaging. So very big fan of, of Compose. And then I guess what every, going back to the fact that it is very much a sales process in part, um, is a good CRM. So like so the two for the audience are superhuman and compose.im and then yes crm is, is a different thing though they're interesting products coming as personal crms mm. so there's some there's one called folk f-o-l K, I believe, which I still I'm still waitlisted if they're listening give me access um <laughs> that's a personal crm so because we all in our lives actually need to manage or remind why then I, you know, catch up yeah, with eggs. Like, mm. yeah. So I think those are like the three key tools uh, that help me. And, uh, and then, just a note there, Chris, uh, sorry that you weren't invited to the party. It's a mutual friend of Carmen and I's. So I just wanted to get that out there as well. Oh, so you're not actually going to a party? <laughs> it would be not not officially because we're still like under you know like oh, yeah. not officially on a podcast well, by the time we publish this maybe yeah then the yes in the future we are it is saturday from after june 21st yeah gotcha. yes okay and, and then again the the i'm interested on the sorry i'm laboring this superhuman folk compose are they are you you're the expert um they tend to come out of any particular country are they are they scandinavian you know obviously we had very good, question. Scandinavia. So, very good question so um superhuman is us um i believe composites uk and they're two wonderful founders that like do the cost like customer support themselves like most attentive founders ever and and product geeks in the best of ways and folk i haven't spoken to them i think it is british as well but let me it's folk.app 
let me check um i'll check out for you but um i haven't spoken to them yet so um here contact us let me check where there is no i don't know where i think it's british i think it's uk as well so i, I suppose that's a nice sort of caveat into um i, I mean it, is this area perhaps a, a, a trending area in in 2021 or, or, or am I showing my age and I'm a bit way behind the curve and this was all happening in 2019 and Chris was asleep at the wheel um but okay okay but so so I suppose really with your your VC hat on uh Carmen because naturally well actually before we go into that and the trends if you if you were to just maybe give us give the audience a bit of background on your time at Samai Platter on yeah, sure. the work you, you do with our good neutral friend, Eamon Carey. Absolutely. Um, that's really great. 100%. And before introducing myself, though, I'll point out, you made a really good point asking whether some of these products came from Scandinavia, because it is true that they're very, very good product-led companies in the productivity space, in general product-led companies, but a lot of them in the productivity space being born out of Scandinavia. So there's, for example, a great app built on top of Google um, Calendar that tries to, that allows you to make your Google, your G-Call a to-do list that's called Amy, A-M-I-E. So that is an amazing product designer. And there are a few others. Um, yeah that are that are in that space so it's true that scandinavians from a vc perspective when i think about like great product design is a lot about scandinavia very very true um so to me back to uh, myself very quickly on, on that note very good point because i remember um when I, I I tend I well pre COVID I I've always hosted this uh, great event in Oslo with the uh, the team at Concentric VC um, and they would always you know for many years and we've seen the, the Oslo tech scene grow and there were always a number of those types of businesses it seems to be a trend in Norway and one of which I think memory is is one of them that really. <laughs> probably one to watch as well because I think you know it's similar, similar vein. so it's funny have lots of tips for the viewers as to how they can become more organized I like mm. it I have um, to put all so, the links in the blurb <laughs> yeah oh good good word yeah we, we should we should do that Anthony so so yes so and then pray tell what, what you know because obviously before um VC you were at Morgan Stanley um I think that's yes. the first job, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm really interested actually to see, and I've, I've seen this with a number of the really uh, excellent um, young VCs in the industry that they perhaps maybe cut their teeth in the world of investment banking or in what would, be, would have been traditional asset management with me as an old old fogey you know we all, I spent 25 years and near enough in that sort of space and it was fun but I I, I wondered is is it does does it now or, or is it a stepping stone that type yeah. of role to I think very BC in your in your sort of generation very good question and and let me tell you my story because it's anything but straightforward um but it's just correction folk is french and i'm making this correction because they're not gonna like it if we say they're british so i just take especially the at the moment <laughs> yeah france it's french <laughs> folk up it's French. so we have like us uk france scandinavia it's like uh, the whole of the, it's another sign of like how global um the world is so basically i started actually in politics 
So I was the yeah I was the youngest uh, ever like some sort of ridiculous title advisor uh, advisor to a president in so Spain is divided in seventeen regions and they um, run healthcare and education so like they run mainly most of the budget it's almost like a federal state in in that sense and so I was an advisor to the president of one of those regions he used to be the president of Congress of Spain, overall the National Congress, and she went on to this region and became the president and she started this cabinet that was made of independent non-party um, people. It was like chief of staff, another advisor and me. And I stayed there for two years. Um, I think I come from a very political family. We always have discussed a lot about politics but and love politics, but I guess I realized having that amazing opportunity of being like um, during Spanish, also Spanish debt crisis. So like we were about being to be yeah. rescued, bailed out the whole, it was super interesting time from a reforms perspective. And, but I learned that politics is probably, if you like it, an incredible place to in your career because it is a really beautiful job if you like it. And also the impact is huge, but it's probably not the place to start your career. Because going back to your point around, do you need to like, you know, get your did ready to serve, I call it serve my time and get ready for like actual the workplace. It's not a place that gives you transferable skills that then you can implement across industries and that give you the flexibility to sort of build your own career. Or many and mistakes, so I would imagine as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it's. All, I guess I learned a lot about the human nature, which has been useful then in in my job as VC. You learn about like human nature and what motivates human nature, and and then you learn about the different between ideology and what actually can be done, right? And like the complexities of public um, government and, and services. But um, I very quickly realized I, I had friends who had gone on to McKinsey, Goldman Sachs, and like I realized they were thinking and like analytically and like critically in the way that I wasn't being taught to think and I really wanted to be taught to think that way. And so I decided to go serve my time because mm -hmm. I went on to Morgan Stanley and um, did three years of investment banking. I know some people like when I say that, like, oh my was, God. Was that like uh, tech in tech banking or, or No, that... I was actually in financial institutions uh, for most of the time. I did a bit of corporate so financial institutions and then I even did at a point um, sovereigns and so countries like basically governments and agencies, uh, supranational agencies. So going back to like super varied um, background, I think what is very good about um, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, like Bain, is that for a short period of time, they really like you acquire so many hard and soft skills that are super useful going forward, right? And some people feel bad for me being like, oh, you went to, like, how was that? I was like, first of all, it was so much fun because you're in a floor with like 200 people who are so young and driven and energetic. Yes, we worked insane hours. Yes, it was like dysfunctional in many ways, but you forge friendships that are still like to my day, like some of my favorite and closest people are still Morgan Stanley. And then second, you learn a sort of level of quality of output of like how demanding you're with yourself, attention to detail, like just like res resilience and like, and even like managing yourself in complex that is very hard to learn in other places uh, yeah. because the level of it like it's so demanding, right? And so I, I think it is a great place. I don't think it is 
a necessary stepping stone to get into VC because when you look at VCs, like the backgrounds are so different and people come from, and that is part what makes it so interesting. Mm -hmm. And probably banking is the less exciting one to get into VC. I would still do it over and over again because from, I always measure everything in opportunity cost and ROI. And for ROI of my time, both professionally and personal, it was like mm. super. And so- Can I yeah. ask a comment? Do you, of the people, you know, in, in that, in your sort of, your your friendship ecosystem that may have come from the financial services, have, have, have many of them, maybe moved into VC or, or moved away from traditional what would be termed traditional financial yeah. institutions and in yeah and I must say here that like Morgan Stanley I think is a very good school uh, for that if you look at from banking like from a founder perspective and um VC perspective it's a bank that brings me but yeah I think if you look at even my friends in VC now like I have one of my best friends comes from Bain she is now a GP in her own fund. Like uh, Luciana, now living Sequoia, is former Morgan Stanley. Jan, Jana uh, Bernard Index is um, is former Morgan Stanley. Uh, but then you also have like people with complete different backgrounds, right? Uh, or like there's Norson, another one of my best friends is Bamel. So yes, there is that. But there is people who there are people who come from. Um, Revolut and like were operators and um, did a, a lot in product or operations and and are now in banking. There's like um, like a partner at Atomico who's like Sasha to me, one of the best investors in Europe. She used to be a head of BI at least. So mm -hmm. it is like very varied, I think, um, where it comes from. Great, and 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 I suppose you know if you finesse the the journey as people call it the. There was, was it post was it semi platter that was the the first protocol no i started at felix no, capital i should have done my research better i just Sorry. no i think i i'm i'm getting terrified of how old i am with this like how many because yeah, i've think, stayed quite a couple of some time in each of i mean look at the, the zoom screen that's why i like go wow i'm looking old today <laughs> Same, same feeling. So no, I actually um, started uh, in VC at Felix Capital, which is uh, uh, like Series A, um, B fund, now B fund, uh, focused on digital lifestyle. And um, on this, I always give like credit and forever grateful to Antoine, who's like a founder and a, and a partner at Felix, because he was the one who gave me um, the first shot and it wasn't an obvious one i mean i had sort of started a company in spain before morgan stanley so i had some like connections in the ecosystem and a bit of an understanding of what it means to try to scale and fail a company but then i wasn't like a typical profile going back to um to that and he gave me that chance and actually i was moving to new york with morgan stanley stopped the move and went to felix and that was the beginning of um of everything and yeah thanks to him so I stayed there for a couple of years, like two years, and then I left. Uh, and at that point, I was launching my own uh, direct-to-consumer brand. So I, I had always thought I was going to be a founder. And this is actually an interesting, if, if founders or VCs or, or people who don't know what to do with their career are listening, I had always thought I was going to be a founder. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Um, to me, it was like the natural thing. And I had this like sort of small try in Spain. I failed, but then after Felix, I was like super ready. I came into VC because I thought it would make me a better founder because I thought it would give me um, 
visibility over a lot of companies. I could identify patterns, what makes some fail, succeed, like and build a network to build my own company. Did all that, went on to build my own company just to realize I was an investor at heart. I put all my savings into that company. I tried, and, and it when we, we say like we built it from scratch, from idea to build a brand, incorporate the company, have like, it was a direct to consumer brand. So have the products, ship the products, sell them in the US, sell them in the UK. I would do the, from my living room. It was all in my living room. I would do customer support, everything. And a year into it, I realized, you know what? I just missed investing so much. Yeah, yeah. And, it and, was, and I suppose that business we decided we closed to. it down my co-founder was in in new york we shut it down and then i moved on to some ipata but i guess the biggest learning and this has been like one of the biggest learnings in, in in my life but definitely about my about myself and my career is that what i realized is that operators and investors are not necessarily always the same mind some people love both but what happened to me is that i realized if i had to choose i liked breadth over depth and that is something that if they would theoretically have asked me without me having gone through this, I would have by all means say depth because I was such like, I studied so much at school, like in university, I got super good grades. Like it was all about the depth, the detail, knowing everything. And then suddenly when I had to choose, I was like, no, I don't want to focus on a set of problems super complex and but a set of problems i want to be talking to different founders from solving different problems in different markets and know a little about a lot yeah. and realize um it was like much more of a driver and i wanted to do investing it was the energy of working with these founders of different people that really kept me going and so what started at samaipata samaipata is a Pre-seed seed fund based out of Spain, 100 million, investing in marketplaces and network effects, business with network effects. And I was basically leading the London investments in the UK. So I was based out of London. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And, I, and, and on that note, um, you know, the, if you were to ex sort of expand upon some of your experiences when, when you meet founders or, you know, that, 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 those moments where you kind of think oh my god where, where's this meeting going um any any tips there for for founders and then also i suppose one one great thing for to expand on would be um some of the businesses you may be backed at semi platter and yeah. any of note that you'd like to talk about absolutely i'll um i'll explain a few and maybe we start with that and then like hints to, to founders um so basically i guess most defining my most sort of lucky strike is hopping so and not luck it's skill <laughs> and talking about like serendipity and meetings like basically i met johnny like early summer like late spring 2019 so he was back then raising 150k and I was the first VC that he met. And I did it because a business angel who's like a um, mentor, business angel and everything to me called Andrew Bites asked me to DD him. Johnny like had a product that was very simple back then. It was pre-launch, it was pre-everything. So my pata only invested in businesses that had like some traction. So it was out of scope. But I, of course, went to DD him for Andrew. Lucky me. And um, it was a Friday summer like 
and it was like 5 p.m i was like okay great so i'm gonna have this like 45 minute like meeting and like you know and also he came next to my house it was like really like sort of like uh, like i'm doing andrew a favor i mean think how the world changes right and then basically like um i would stay till like 8 p.m johnny and i on that meeting and and, afraid. and then from them, and he's amazing at that, he sort of involved me a lot and like would like, you know, make me feel like, you know, I, I, like I was part of like building that round for him and help him through um, through the round, build, to build his pre-seed, every investor on that pre-seed cap table is my connection, my process, build with him that seed. Um, introducing me to Luciana um, because also Luciana is fantastic and also she works with one of my best friends um, who's called Julian while she was at Excel. So help him with that seed uh, transaction. I'm a very happy personal investor, obviously, and very close uh, and, and have been privileged to be close to that sort of story of hyper growth of a company and a, and a founder. But I guess when you think about how can something that is not relevant for my fund and I sit on a meeting summer Friday like evening and stay three hours with him and, and then talk to him every day for, for six months, I was like, he's chief inter like interim chief of staff or slash PA also like PAEA and and that ability that Johnny had to make you hooked uh, is a very very uh, relevant one right so part of my the story was him so can I just stop you there come is it because do you feel you have to have a, a real chemistry with a particular founder and it was that chemistry that brought you into the whole hop in the um, X factor. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very quick question. A very good question because it's almost, I was listening, another VC was telling me the other day, I don't glue with the founder, right? And um, look, I think that, as a, I, I think that the the here like the thing here is you're getting married, almost you're having a kid, right? And and this is more for the founder to consider than for the investor because the investor is gonna have many founders to work with and it's gonna work a bit, um. But the like founder is like I'm having a baby with this investor who I'm getting in my cap table because getting somebody out of your cap table is more difficult than getting divorced. So you're really like having a baby. So it's like you need to make sure that you wanna work with these people like every day and like things they will be phases right some like you'll be talking to them all the time then others says but you really need to want to be with this spend time and work with this people and to this point with johnny and this is um interesting part but like my boyfriend like now boyfriend the first date he came to london and he wasn't living in london he came to just have dinner with me on friday i opened in like so still sports clothes because i had been working out open no makeup and on the phone to Johnny building his cup table right but like you this is like there needs to be some chemistry in there you don't just do it because you like the person but there is some be it because like you feel affinity because you're intrigued by the person but there needs to be some energy um in there um and that's why but that's more for founders even to choose you know, I think that's more a question founders need to ask themselves. Do I really have this chemistry with this person? Like, do I want to call her on Saturday when things go like south? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's great. And, and, it's and, a people's business, right? Mm. That's what I love about it. But it's a people's business. Yeah, I, I suppose on that on that note, you you talk about hopping and Johnny, the, the counter where you've kind of like, you know, you've had a situation with a particular founder and you just thought, or, or, or is there a particular thing that so, what we say in England, I suppose, is really get your goat. Um, yeah. you kind of, you really like, oh, 
Yeah, I think I'm, so I'm quite easy. Like, I think there's just, I'm quite easy. Um, I think that generally I get along with everybody and I could see myself working with everybody. They're like funny stories uh, sometimes, but it's more about almost what you message to the VC, right? And how you message what your priorities are and, and like your skin in the game is. And, and I think at the end, this comes down to the point that getting VC money is not better than not getting VC money. Like you get into this like VC, like sort of, um, Reshma from sitcom calls it highway. Like you get into the VC highway and then it's very hard to get out. But the VC highway is not better than the side road and it's different people like different things. So sometimes if you're, you know, if you want a lifestyle business or if you've already made a lot of money and don't care, like that's amazing. Just don't raise from a VC because once you get VC money and expectations are um, specific, right? So actually the most like funny anecdotes come from this sort of mismatch of like, I don't think you want VC money uh, sort of situation. And what I do on that is I, try to educate founders a lot in how a venture capital works and, and I try to get them to understand that it's not because we're greedy and we want a lot of money, it's because we have third-party investors and the way our returns system works is X and so, so yeah, they understand. And But yeah, it's typically more from that than having like a bad experience of like, you know, fighting with somebody or fundamentally disagreeing because at the end of the day in that I'm also very pragmatic. If I don't think the person is like nice, I don't need to talk to that person anymore in my life. So it's, I just keep it very civilized and then not get in touch. Um, so, so I suppose with that, the, uh, the whole topic of inclusivity is something that seems to be running very um, actively in the, in the headlines around VC this year and, and kind of how a lot of VCs are trying to open themselves up to or all founders, you know, and, and try and help. And I think clearly the work that I've seen you do recently, I think with Kieran at the, with the debut sessions, yeah. I think great. That's one thing I'd love you to dig into. And then the other thing, um, going back to the earlier point about the fund, um, yeah. that I think is a fascinating opportunity. So for, because both are mainly focused on pre-seed, seed i believe um so um tell us more yeah so kieran and i kieran is going about this activity. i organized this thing called um the vc thanksgiving dinner so pre-covid um, and so that was every year thanksgiving uh, night um all the vcs like actually from europe would come last last time before covid we were 80 of us and uh, one time, like the second edition, um, somebody invited Kieran and I didn't know Kieran and Kieran sat on my table and actually that was reserved for a friend of mine. And I was like, who's this guy who's like sitting in front of me? Like, you know, is somebody else supposed to be here? And I was like, who are you? <laughs> and then he was like, I'm Kieran. And then I always just like, I'm also quite like, I wasn't going to tell him get out because this is the seat for somebody else. So we're like, okay, nice to meet you. And ever since we've become like, we always say it was the most transformational, like professional moment ever, because then obviously Kieran came along in Hopin and like now we're sort of like work together a lot in pre-seed seat. And I think we work also very well because we have very similar views of the world. And I think how we see the world is that venture capital is such an access industry, right? And we see it over and over again. And this is not to say there's a lot of questions on do VCs add value, don't add value. But what we can help with for sure, and it's not even part of our job necessarily, but it's like to create outcomes. And the thing is, you see it with Johnny, right? Like 
I introduced him to all the people in the pre-seed, but so have we done in many other cases, some very successful, some not so. But if you don't know the right people, it is very hard, even if you have like your amazing founder and you have a great product, you will probably make it. And the market is working more and more towards being open. But the reality is that if you know the right people to head, like the outcomes are much easier to generate. And so I think that because we believe it is like, we need to make that access way easier for any founder mm-hmm. and um that because that will benefit founders but it will benefit the ecosystem overall right and so that is where the boot sessions is born and hats off to kieran because i am a lucky sort of co adjacent co-founder he calls me but it's like all the credit is his hundred the amount of work he puts in it is insane and mm-hmm. the outcomes speak by themselves right like first edition there's Hago was the winner, uh, which ended up having like a super, like, I mean, it is like a rocket ship. It's a live streaming guided tours. And I'm privileged to be very close to the founders as well and to have taken part in that. The second one was uh, Aola as well in the medical health tech also completed a super interesting round. And now we have the next one next Thursday. So everybody sign up if um, you're interested. Uh, but it is about that. It is like, how do you get top pre seed investors in front of people who otherwise wouldn't have any access to and you have check from ada you have leila you have finn from frontline like harry Briggs from omers and all of us are just there to talk to founders that otherwise wouldn't have got through to us right and that's uh, i think that is um amazing on on kieran and i'm privileged to, to be part of the debut sessions and i think the second part uh, on the, the fund.vc. So the fund.vc is, I think, the best thing that has happened um, to me in investing um, as, as like job and hobby, basically, mm-hmm. because it's not a job. And forever grateful to Iman for bringing me along. But basically, the fund.vc is what we call, we didn't kill ourselves with the name, the fund. It is mm-hmm. a community-driven VC. And the idea is that a lot of founders are members of, of founder and operators communities. But this is the same just with some very good people I'll speak about, but it has an investment arm. So you have the head of product at Dropbox, the head of engineering at Snap, the head of growth at Stripe, head of TikTok EMEA. All of them investing are part of this community. They invest on it and we invest out of it. 50K tickets in pre-seed companies in Europe. Now, the beauty is we also have, so we have the Fund London, which is the one I'm part of. We have the Fund New York, the Fund LA, the Fund the Rockies, the Fund Australia now. And this idea of creating a global community of funders and operators at a micro level, because we can support like a micro local level, because we can support founders from there. And so there, like we've done super interesting investments Hago mm-hmm. uh, is one but we've done like SideQuest uh, VR for example which is like VR's leading platform content platform like SideQuest is a typical example of like uh, a defund investment we invested 50k in around that uh, also Palmer Lucky like founder of Oculus came in and it's just a platform um, basically to this expand the content in mm-hmm. VR, so it makes make it more accessible and has one million monthly active users. Like incredible yeah. business out of Belfast, um, yeah. built by a couple. There's like absolutely wonderful. But this is the sort of investments that that we like. We have a bunch more. Check the website. But if you're a founder um, raising your first round, apply to the boot sessions and ping me on the fund. Good. Wow. There you go. You heard it here first. Um, 
So on the, on the industry itself, because obviously there's lots and lots written by people like my old colleagues at Bloomberg and about the pandemic effect and what what's that meant for the startup ecosystem. On the one hand, you see, um, you know, all the, the headline numbers and the data about record, record quarters and record years for VC investment or, or private capital investment in general. But then on the other hand, you see all the data from, you know, I think Bowhurst and Pitchbook saying that, you know, I think that second half of last year was one of the lowest levels of actual very early stage businesses being created. So you have this kind of dichotomy of the press saying everything's fantastic, but you and, and, and I suppose all of us know that it's a lot of the later stage businesses um, that are getting those headlines of the, the, you know, the stellar rounds. I think there was an electric car company out of, uh, no, an electric, no, an autonomous bus company um, out of Sweden this morning that raised 110 million um, uh, euro round, um, uh, Series B round, which to me sounds, you know, it's great, but, you know, a lot of those sort of, you know, autonomous, you know, somewhat crazy R&D type investments did diminish in the headlines over over the covid times but i'm just gonna, i suppose long-winded uh, sort of introduction or question but you know i'm kind of curious to really hear what your thoughts are on on the temperature the investments the trends 2021 coming out of covid are, are we really in a in such a rosy place as the as people seem to think we are in the press Hundred percent, Christian. So I actually think it's it's interesting that you said about like pre seed. I was reading yesterday, um, this like April was like forty one billion. This is global, but forty one billion in like a VC investment from early stage to to growth with a unicorn being minted every two working days, which really? is like insane. Wow. But the reality is that I think. So I think I've never seen the market like this. And actually also at pre-seed seed. And it is twofold. It is like amount of capital available. And that has to do with a lot of like macro trends and interest rates. And also the fact that in and COVID has created uncertainty about a lot of things, but not about the future of tech. And so it makes sense to allocate money in tech. So there's a lot of money in the system. And there's like a lot of good opportunities coming up. It is true that there's still like more capital chasing fewer opportunities. But when you look at pre-seed and I've been in pre-seed seed for a couple or a few years now, actually, I've never seen the volume and quality of deal flow that we are seeing now in Europe. And I think Europe to me, like, and especially at pre-seed seed is now the most exciting like place in the last six years, for sure. And I think it is almost an inflection point. And there must have been many in the past that I wasn't part of. But I think what's happening is Europe before had an issue probably on Series B onwards, where there was like less growth capital. To your point on the news, now there's a lot of growth capital. And there's also like US coming and like funds from like global funds. 
what that has also enabled is to see like trajectories of companies that don't get stuck at the like 100 to 100 million, but like actually go on to the billion dollar um, a threshold, go through it very quickly. That obviously makes pre-seed seed more attractive for investors as well, because you can like, um, you still assume a lot of risk, but you can see a trajectory um, into in high returns. And at the end, at the same time, I think, this moment in the cycle with a lot of companies having been successful already in Europe, founders coming back, feeding back, the ecosystem, like there's more quality when you say do Morgan Stanley people, Bain people, people with exceptional operators in early in like techs that today are unicorns in Europe, but that were started like 17 years ago are now starting their own businesses. Mm -hmm. And so the quality of founders that you have and the possibility, like the ambition that they have of becoming huge, being enabled by the capital there is creating mm -hmm. sort of like a virtuous, a virtuous not vicious cycle. Um, question, question on whether the valuations are here to stay or whether the market is gonna like, you know, have a correction. And that is something that I don't know because um, like, I guess like I was reading about a year ago and people were saying the same and now we're like in a hybrid. Mm. So will there be some correction? Yeah. Maybe. Oh, sorry, Anthony, just one quick, would I be a bit rude in asking that your perspective, Carmen, may have changed because you obviously backed hopping so you are perhaps in that sort of lovely spot of probably being at the top of the pyramid so you tend to see a greater amount of the really it's a very fair people. question it's a very fair question and actually um i think the hoping effect is an effect that you can see in like the valuations even at series a the form of people missing like what if this is the next hopping we just want to put money into it and so there is an impact and definitely like the perspective from having seen that has like changed me like forever no question and kieran and i going back to him is actually something we discuss a lot right the reality though is i also help a lot of founders and like stay very close to a lot of founders that don't see that trajectory of going from like 2.5 to 5.7 billion in 18 months right and that and i've been part of rounds that take months and part of rounds that don't even happen and how do you look for the plan b and like and and it is part of my job and what i actually really love is staying with the founders in that part because that's when we really add value right like when a founder like pings you and says i don't know if this round is gonna happen and you're like wait you need one yes it doesn't matter how many no's you you have you need one yes of one lead and then like and and getting so i'm close to that it is true that i am not close to those that don't even get to vcs that is a that is a very fair point. So, um, but within those companies that do get VC funding, it is especially because at pre-seed sometimes there's no fund involved, and it's just angels and like or the the fund.vc, which is like almost like an angel, and and then you that transition gradations into getting funded by an institutional top seed fund is not always straightforward and it doesn't always happen. So I agree with you on that, but that's part of also sort of the market curating, sometimes right, sometimes not fairly, mm -hmm. because it's not always rational. But I do think that if you look at volume of quality, like quality of founders of projects and volume of that, it's never been like that because also there's never been a market where founders could have the expectations of building a hopping in Europe. And yes, not all of them are going to be hopping, but it is possible to build hopping. And I think that is a complete game changer between mm -hmm. versus five years ago where you could not build a hopping in Europe. And so entrepreneurship might not have attracted 
mm. certain talent that is now attracting. So I think it is, um, it, hopping is being a part of this inflection point. There are other macro elements mm. to it, but definitely, but because it just shows it's possible. Well, one of the uh, one of the things that we uh, were talking a lot about in season one of our podcast was uh, U.S. funds coming over to the EU and how that could, you know, kind of exacerbate competition in Series A. But I saw some uh, articles recently saying that actually there's a big focus on them for earlier stage rather than later stage um, to try and get in early rather than you know fight where the big the big entrenched you know, local home team competition is. Um, and then uh, on the valuations, uh, there was a very famous angel that said recently um, that angels, if they're uncomfortable with the valuation, should just raise their uh, bar for actually getting investment out of them. So it'll be interesting to see what effect that has on very early stage angel investing as well. Yeah, so um, to your first questions on the, on the question on the US, 100%. I think like with COVID has changed also one thing is that because we have all been on Zoom, it has and it's, it has made the US like investors, like basically local investors. And it is very interesting because when we when COVID first hit, I started um, with a friend from Corellia called Laura. She's amazing as well. We started this thing called EU VC call. And it was a weekly call with general partners and partners of VC funds across Europe that we held for eight weeks. And every week we were looking at like, what, because we didn't know what was happening, right? In March, we were all super lost. And, and so first was like, what's happening to our portfolio? How are we helping portfolio? And there was a call around that. What's happening in Asia? Seeing like that might happen into Europe after. What's happening in the US that back then was behind in the COVID thing. And we remember that one of the clear, like obvious conclusions was that, well, I mean, you know, with this whole thing happening, valuations will go down in the US, like there will be less of an arbitrage for US investors and they will focus at home because I mean, when the world is falling apart, you know, they'll stay at home. And so there's going to be- Best laid plans. Increase <laughs> in investment in US funds in Europe. Ha, could we have been more wrong, right? It was almost the, reality, the inverse, yeah. <laughs> leveled the playing field, right? I mean, the true devaluations didn't go down in the US, rather the contrary, and it leveled the playing field because now suddenly we're all on Zoom. I still think that there's value of local investors because of the network when you need to hire, like the connections that a local investors gonna have are different. And, but the reality is that there's like amazing US investors coming and changing the landscape. You have Tiger, and there's this very famous post uh, written, which is an interesting way to look at the way they invest. Um, Koto, but then you have a 16 set that is super active now. You have so many US investors coming and competing at A. We still like have been seeing them at seed. I don't know if it makes sense for like a multi-billion dollar fund to invest like 500K at seed. Let's see, never say never, see the thing. But at A, definitely. And it's made A a very difficult place to fight because you mentioned earlier Chris 110 million B round there are like some 70 70 million round B round 50 but A's that have gone from an average size of 10 to an average size of 20 which is crazy but 20 million it's still not that much when you have these like monster funds fighting mm -hmm. to get allocation and so a has become a very difficult place to to fight like to operate or like mm -hmm. a very interesting one because it's so compressed in time, which is another thing that is happening from seed to series A. It's been compressed in time. It used to be 24 months. It's now sometimes a matter of weeks, but mm. many times a matter of months. Wow. And then that means you don't really have much more information. 
mm. about what the company, but the prices and the size of the run is skyrocketing. Yeah. And then there's a lot, a lot of competition here. And so it is, it gets expensive. So they are creating interesting dynamics. Um, and I mean, it is definitely good news for the ecosystem. It means interesting things are happening in Europe because otherwise they wouldn't be coming here, right? Uh, but let's see how like it impacts also the VC ecosystem, how European or local VCs like react to it and we're all adapting and how founders also go about it and so yeah it's definitely super interesting on, on the us on the valuation and angels to be honest because i am always invested out of funds i'm like i always have the fund mindset in mind not the angel and this is something i explain to founders as well angel is managing their own money and think about it as multiple of returns of that money necessarily like that um, money that they invest because they're done they're not thinking about returning their whole like a uh, asset base, Funds, right? Yeah. Whereas a fund is, a fund is hundred million is thinking I need to return those hundred million. So I need to make hundred million out of each company. So you think about it a bit in a different way. Um, but I agree angels, like if they um, own little stake, they can get out from A, B for sure, B onwards. Now secondaries are like super mm -hmm. common. And sometimes even in A, because again, there's so much competition for stake mm -hmm. that people are going to buy it from them right so if they think that like it's going too crazy you can always sell which is another phenomenon in markets like it's more much more liquid than it used to be before and mm. um, because secondaries are are much more common i think also in the uk there's a difference with like obviously there's the considerations of SEIS, SEIS, and how long do you want to hold those shares mm. which also impact mm. but yeah um that's how i would think about it okay right we're, we're running short on time and you giving some fantastic answers, Carmen. I'm, I've, I've really enjoyed the, the session. Um, I suppose one last Carmen top tip um, would be, naturally you've talked quite a bit about live streaming. Is that is that space as we move into a year, perhaps when events are maybe moving back into people's offices and, and there could be a bit more in person, that's, I'm just conscious, is, is, is that vertical still going to see energy and, and investment and, and is, is what would be termed hot? Or do you think there could be a, a sort of slight tempering of that hotness, so to speak? Absolutely. I think it's a very fair question. I am a big believer that it is gonna is here to stay. And um, some of my most recent investments <laughs> further um, like uh, confirm that. I think that it is complementary. And again, I am a very people's person. I one of my biggest learnings of the pandemic is I need like I need to see people physically because I get energy from people. So it is almost like a contradiction for me to be big or be betting big on sort of um, <laughs> live streaming. Um, technologies, but it is because I think it's complementary, right? And I think one of the theses that I am, and it goes from VR, live streaming hopping as event, live streaming Hago as guided tours at the intersection of entertainment, travel, and education. I think that one interest, one idea that I'm super interested in is the idea of blending the real and the virtual world and having sort of 
tech, and this was something that Hopin did very well, that Hego has done very well, and that I always look for is build businesses by first that are digital by first principles, right? You don't take an offline experience and make it online with tech because an, uh, an experience that was born to be offline is going to be suboptimal online in my view as a very big fan of offline experiences now you can use tech to reinvent an experience online and that's what hopping did with online events that's why it wasn't just an, yet another app of like offline events online that's what hego is doing with taking you let's take hego as an example actually Life guided tour. When they told me, I was like, yeah. And then suddenly, like, you get on this, you hop on this tour and you have this guy in Lisbon. I mean, my in laws live in Lisbon. My parents used to have a house in Lisbon. I've been three trillion times to Lisbon. So it's not a substitute to traveling, it is entertainment. I'm hop on. And this guy takes me through the streets of Lisbon. And suddenly, there are 200 people with me on the tour. And like they tell, like they talk to, like you get on it and you're like, hey, Carmen, I'm like, hola, Chris. Oh, look at that. We were there that time. And you have social, it's social and interactive. So mm -hmm. it is a different experience that you would have because you and I would have never been able to be in Lisbon at the same time at that time. So it is giving us an extra. And more than that, suddenly I'm like, oh, I remember that store. Why don't I buy something there? And I can go and it's a blend e-commerce and blending online and offline. And I'm in my living room in London and I'm buying something in like Lisbon or Paris. And actually I might be like, oh, and why don't I get Portuguese food? And I also order it. Like, there is yeah. this blending of the online and online world in making and reinventing the experience that it is complementary. Um, so I guess the world's gonna be hybrid basically is sort of my thesis yeah. and yeah. live streaming is gonna play a huge role in there. Yeah. That's a fantastic answer. And and it, and, and just for my, uh, my understanding, the business is called Hey Co and that's Hey, hey Go, that sorry, Hey Go, that's my, my accent. H-E-Y-G-O dot com. Oh, well, I'm going to be having a look at that. I'm going to look at Compose. I'm going to look at several of the others when I rewind the uh, the, the podcast because there's been some great tips, Carmen. And, you know, I love your energy. I love your passion. I really love talking to you. I'm, I wish you all the success going forward. But one thing we always ask before we disappear is um, uh, when you are... Uh, at home in London with the boyfriend or with friends, uh, you know, are the do you ever do you ever consume much of the streaming content, or are you just you know you just socialising or you know besides the live you, tours? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do yeah. actually while I do something else. I'm like, yeah. um, it's it's very good question. I think. Um, I am a very so, so I'm a social person. I'm very lucky. I have amazing friends in London and we all live three streets apart. So okay. that occupies a lot of my part. Um, a lot of them are VCs as well. So we spend the time like talking about deals and yes. going back. And I guess like the one thing that I do um, do this sort of me time and meditation is I read. I like to read. And, I, and this is like a confession. I read in paper books like I mm -hmm. don't like Kindle and yeah. I like like I want to not look at a screen and I want to feel how a book feels and I like how books smell and it's like this and so I read every night ever since I was very little this is because we were sent to boarding school very early and my mother would always send us books and always say like if you're ever lonely just open the book and it just sort of like came with us through like many boarding schools and living abroad in many places and I always had a book with me and so that sort of um, stuck with me. Okay, good. Any any particular book at the moment that you 
you'd recommend to the audience? <laughs> okay, so at the moment, I'm actually, I'll show you because it's a recommendation from a founder and it is breaking my rule because my rule is I read novels. I don't read like business books because it's in the evening, but I broke it because this founder told me it was amazing and we were negotiating something. Ah, that's like, a good one. Never split the difference. Yeah, very famous. Negotiating yeah. as if your life depended on it. Yeah, like this Chris Some Voss. FBI hostage, yeah. FBI Chris, hostage. Uh, Chris Voss has loads of YouTube videos as well. Um, oh, he has masterclass as well. That's yeah. amazing. But yeah. going back to, actually, I'll give like proper books like this in takeoff. If you're a woman, then read if you're a guy, because it's all about women's stories. But um, it's Alice Munro. She won the Nobel Prize, but she writes beautiful short tales about just life. And that is like one like incredible book that mm -hmm. I always go with me. And I guess another one, which is sort of an unorthodox, but a beautiful um, recommendation is a book called Middlesex, um, okay. which tells a story that is relevant. It is It tells us difficult story and it teaches us a lot about respect and trying to understand before judging people and it is beautifully written so it's, so, not, um, it's not about middlesex as in no, the no. english county it's about got, got it middlesex is a, and actually the so the writer actually is a pulitzer like won the pulitzer prize mm -hmm. but basically he wrote also suicide virgins or how is it called in so like middlesex won the pulitzer prize and it's an author called jeffrey eugenides and it basically tells the story of a girl in the US and um, that goes through some changes in her life. Mm -hmm. And it is just a tale of like respect and, and, and understanding yeah. that is beautifully written. So that, and I just want to add something because you asked me earlier and I don't think we got to it, like advices to founders and especially if like a meeting, like how do you hook an investor? How do you like, you know, wrap the investor into your story and bring that, the, like get the uh, get them engaged and i was thinking as we were speaking on that i think the key question is probably passion like i think i have been a founder myself and when i look back at one of the reasons why i failed was that i wasn't passionate enough about the problem i was trying to solve and that is now something that i look for it's like true passion passion that it's almost sometimes like naive in there i'm like ambition and passion that can be borderline naive but if i then look at your profile and think you can execute on it like that is the perfect combination right well that is a lovely way to end and i want to say thank you from me and i suppose thank you from anthony yeah, definitely and um, i'll see you at that party, party a few months yeah <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, no, chris invites in the mail <laughs> <laughs> yes it's in six weeks <laughs> like thank you for having me it's been yeah. fantastic lovely safe, time safe but... travel over back to london and enjoy and we'll keep in touch and we'll, we'll absolutely speak again soon,